Hello, and welcome to the Ranting Redneck podcast. I want to thank everyone that has taken time out of their day to listen to our program and want to remind you that we can give us any feedback you choose on Twitter at RedneckRantsPod, or you can email us rantingredneckpodcast at gmail.com and we'll certainly appreciate anything you have to say we kind of want to get into two or three different little things today and one of them with yesterday being the 20th anniversary of the 9-11-2001 attacks on this country I kind of wanted to share my experience from that day and get into you know some of the the things that I saw and so on 9-11-2001 I woke up in a motel room in Clarksdale Mississippi having arrived there the day before to pick up a load I'm a truck driver as most of you know and it was was not ready so I went and got a motel room I was told it would be ready the next morning and the next morning I woke up and decided to watch some television. So I turned on the television in the motel room and the previous occupant had been watching CNN. The first thing that I saw as I turned the television on was a camera focused on what I quickly recognized having been to New York City many times as the World Trade Center. The North Tower had a hole in the side of it and smoke pouring out and I was just flabbergasted to see this you know this is just not something you ever expect to see and you know I've seen that skyline many times and I grabbed the remote and turned the sound up and the commentator said that an aircraft had crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center and they didn't really know much else at the time. This was approximately eight o'clock in the morning central time. As I was sitting there watching all of a sudden another aircraft, which it turned out was United Airlines flight 175, came in from the left of the screen and slammed into the South Tower. At this point, any thoughts of this being an accident, you know, pilot error, someone passing out at the controls, anything that could be considered accidental had gone out the window. There was was no doubt that this was some sort of deliberate intentional attack. And, you know, I, I was just shell-shocked. I, I sat there, didn't know whether to cuss, cry, had no idea what I even felt at that moment. You know, there was, I just... I was flabbergasted. I couldn't, I was, couldn't move, couldn't speak. You know, I was just in shock. And shortly thereafter, I uh, received a phone call that my load would be ready shortly. So I got ready to leave. And as I was about to leave the room, it came across the TV that American Airlines Flight 77 had crashed into the Pentagon. And they, you know, camera footage was rolling of where the aircraft had hit the Pentagon. And at this point, I was kind of glued to the TV. I hated to leave just because I had such a desire to know what was going on and was so in shock. And, 
you know, just had no idea what I felt, what I thought. And I think that's probably something that was the situation for a lot of people who learned about this, you know, and, but I went ahead and left and I turned on news radio in the truck and went and picked up the load that I was supposed to deliver. It was going to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And as I was traveling, I learned of the heroic acts of the passengers of United Flight 93, who there's a lot of speculation about how much information they had via cell phone calls or messages or, but who obviously knew something was wrong and took on, attacked the people who had hijacked their plane and managed to crash it into the ground in Pennsylvania. We don't know for sure what the target would have been of United Flight 93. We can speculate all day. We can say the Capitol, the White House, you know, the Supreme Court, whatever. We can we can throw a hundred different things out there that it may have been intended to target. But at the end of the day, none of that happened because of the heroic acts of a few passengers that just were not going to allow that to be used as a weapon against our nation. We, we owe these people, we owe their memory a debt. We, we owe their memory the, we need to honor that memory because that was a very heroic, very selfless, very brave act by, by people who just everyday people that you would meet on the street. You know, this isn't military. This isn't some sort of police officers, first responders. This was people that you would walk by in the convenience store and you'd notice nothing outstanding about them. They wouldn't, wouldn't stick in your memory. But on that day, they were the heroes that this country needed. The, as the day wore on while traveling, I, I saw things that, that it ran the gamut. I saw people who were gathered in parking lots holding candles. I saw people gathered in parking lots holding American flags. I, I saw people saw lines for people waiting to get gas, thinking that, you know, this was going to, everything was going to come to a stop. I saw gas stations that were price gouging people. I saw gas prices tripled during that day. And thankfully those people, the government went after them for price gouging in those situations, but it just, it ran the gamut. You know, I saw people that were holding prayer vigils. I saw people holding American flags. I, I listened to the radio and, you know, when the towers collapsed, I listened to the stories of people who had risked and given their lives trying to get people out of those buildings, trying to save lives. When the, when the smoke cleared, 2,977 Americans were dead. Well, I say Americans. They, I'm sure there was, you know, at the World Trade Center, I'm sure there were people, but 2,977 people were killed. And we saw the worst of humanity. And we saw the best of humanity. You know, we saw firefighters that ran into buildings knowing that building could collapse. We saw police officers that did the same. We saw, we hear stories, you know, we heard the stories of the various people in the towers that, that did heroic things. We, you know, stories of people that 
made sure they got their employees out. There's, there's a ton of these stories. I could, I could do an eight hour show just on stories of the, the heroic actions of people on nine 11. And, you know, along with seeing the worst of humanity, we saw that side. And, you know, as, as the day ended and nine twelve rolled around, we saw this country as united as it had been at the very least since December 7th, 1941, when the Pearl Harbor attack occurred. And, you know, this was the worst attack that had happened on American soil. And we saw this country united. We saw this country be what this country is capable of being. We saw people come together. We saw complete strangers join hands and pray for people they had never met. We saw people that of all backgrounds raise money, donate their time, do things to, to help with this. We saw some of the most brilliant comments, speeches, you know, we saw, saw people become what this country needed them to be. And I think the thing about that is now you see these idiots that make these comparisons between 9-11 and January 6th. And this angers me just absolutely to the point that I can't stand myself. You know, we, there was a 2,977 people died on nine or on or as a result of 9-11-2001. And we see that compared to January 6th. You see idiots like Pam Keith on Twitter that said, as of January 6th, 9-11 was no longer the worst thing to happen to this country in my lifetime. You know, sometimes we look at these people and we ask, could you be any bigger idiot? Well, we need to stop asking that question because it has gone from a rhetorical question to apparently a personal challenge. You know, let's let's look at some comparisons between 9-11-01 and 1-6-21. On 9-11-01, we saw heroic acts by first responders. We saw police officers run into buildings that they knew could collapse and kill them. We saw firefighters do that. We saw we saw heroism in its truest and rawest form. We saw people that were willing to risk their life to save another human being, who were willing to give their life for someone else to live. Well, on January 6th, what we saw was a cowardly police officer by the name of Michael Byrd, who was a member of the Capitol Police, basically from hiding shoot an unarmed woman by the name of Ashley Babbitt. And so we went from on 9-11, we saw the most heroic actions you will ever see on the part of police officers to on 1-6, we saw the most cowardly act you will ever see by a police officer hiding and shooting someone who is unarmed, who is not an imminent threat. And they you know, the Capitol Police, they're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act. They're controlled by Congress. And then this asshat 
has the balls to go on TV and say, I saved countless lives that day. No, you didn't. You cost someone who was not armed and was not a threat to you their life, and Congress is covering up for you for murder. It was murder, plain and simple. That was not justifiable. That was not him defending his life. She was not in the vicinity of anyone else to whom she was going to do harm. She was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time and was executed for it. It's that simple. On... 9-11, 2,977 people were killed or died as a result of a terrorist act. On January 6th, one person died as a result of the actions of a cowardly police officer. And there are, you know, these claims that an officer was beaten to death and died from it. He didn't. He had a stroke. Two days later, and it was determined that, that he was in no way connected to the events of January 6th. But this day and age, narrative matters over facts. You know, on after 9-11, we saw speeches given by politicians and leaders in this country that were a message of unity. They were a message of, we stand united. We stand together. We will recover. We will be, we will be fine. Yes, we will have a scar from this that will never go away, but that scar will heal up. And after January 6th, you saw messages of nothing but division and hatred from politicians. You saw all the talk about right wing nut jobs and, you know, this was an insurrection and, you know, this was an armed insurrection, which is really asinine because there were no firearms taken from anyone arrested. The only firearm discharge was by Michael Byrd at an unarmed civilian. It became political hyperbole after January 6th. After 9-11, it was down to earth. It was politicians, you know, as much as a politician is capable of it, speaking from their heart. It was Rudy Giuliani, you know, saying that, hey, this is the greatest city in the world and we will, we will be, be okay after this. It may take a while. You know, you saw President Bush, you know, giving us a message of unity and saying, hey, we're going to find out who did this and we're going to make them pay. This this will not stand. But after the 6th of January, you saw the opposite. You saw that that used to further drive a wedge in this country to to incite violence against those who. Yeah, maybe not the smartest people in the world, maybe didn't handle everything in the best possible manner, but they were nothing like the terrorists who killed literally thousands of people on 9-11. And if you feel like making these comparisons, just don't. Just shut up, delete your Twitter account, go look in the mirror, raise your hand, say, I am stupid, then use that hand to slap the shit out of yourself. Go sit down and shut up. And the next thing that I kind of want to talk about a little bit is this heartbeat bill that the state of Texas passed that basically states you cannot have an abortion after the heartbeat of the baby is detected, which is around six weeks. And all of the the hyperbole and the 
you know, all the Handmaid's Tale references and, you know, all this stupid shit. People claiming that, well, this is messing with women's bodies. Well, if you're pregnant, that thing inside you is not your body. It is a separate independent body. It is another living human being. And you do not have the right to kill that human being. And all this garbage, you know, now the, the Department of Justice is gonna is suing the state of Texas over this bill, which is a huge violation of the Tenth Amendment and the doctrine of federalism, where the states are allowed to handle their own issues except where there is need for a federal for a federal law a need where you have to have some uniform standard across states you know and people claiming oh they just overturned roe versus wade no they didn't roe versus wade still stands but it now says that if your child has a heartbeat you can't murder them well people claim that oh it's a fetus it's not a baby it's not a life in this country, the the moment of death on a death certificate is when the heart stops. When the heart stops beating, a person is legally considered to be dead. And this makes sense to me. But conversely, how can you say if when the heartbeat stops, that's the moment of death, how can you not say the moment of life begins is when you see a heartbeat? You know, how can you say, well, if you kill a pregnant woman, that's two charges of murder. Well, how can you say that, but then say that's not a baby, say that's not a life, say, you know, well, that's someone that's my body, my choice. It's not your body. And now we have the De Department of Justice getting involved in something that is absolutely a state level issue. That if the state of Texas wants to say, you can't have an abortion after your child has a detectable heartbeat, then the state of Texas can say, you can't have an abortion after your child has a detectable heartbeat. It's, it's not a federal issue. It's, you know, yeah, if at some point there's a lawsuit filed to try to overturn Roe versus Wade, then that's federal because that goes to the Supreme Court. It is a Supreme Court decision. Lower courts can, well, they can rule on it, but it's not going to matter because it will eventually end up before the Supreme Court. And they're not forcing anyone to have a child. They're not forcing anyone to go have unprotected sex. They're not forcing anyone to be irresponsible and say, hey, I don't want to be accountable for my actions. They're not forcing that. What they're saying is, if you create this life, then you do not have the right to terminate this life. It is now its own heartbeat. It is its own child. It is, that is a developing human being. And you do not have the right to murder them. If you are that concerned, there was a post on Twitter by someone, a woman who said that she and her husband had decided since she couldn't get an abortion now, that he was going to go get a vasectomy. But hey, awesome outstanding so instead of just making a baby and going and sucking it out down a sink drain now you're not going to make that baby you're not going to create that life just because you think it's disposable and you can throw it away that's i i'm all for that you know use birth control 
abstain. If you're that concerned about pregnancy, there are ways to prevent it. And believe it or not, medical science knows what causes it. So let's be happy for these people. If they're going to, you know, they're going to fix the problem where they're no longer creating babies just to kill them. I'm all for that. I, Hey, great. You know, let's, let's throw a little dose of personal responsibility in there. Let's, let's start thinking for our, you know, saying, Hey, I don't want to get pregnant. So I'm going to take steps to avoid getting pregnant instead of saying, Oh shit, I'm pregnant. Time to go back to Planned Parenthood. That's, that's a lack of accountability. That's a lack of responsibility. That's wanting someone else to fix your mistake. Well, I can't say mistake because I could never call a child a mistake. That's wanting someone else to be responsible for what you do. That is sentencing a child to death because you have no sense of personal responsibility and personal accountability. That's abstain, you know, just do like these people did go fix it. So you're not going to make babies. If you're that irresponsible and don't want to raise a child, don't make one. The last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about was this executive order that Joe Biden signed. And of course we all know how much he loves his executive orders whether they're legal, constitutional, or just a blatant outright overreach, he doesn't seem to care. You know, Barack Obama once said, I feel constrained by the Constitution, and Joe Biden just says, what the hell is the Constitution? But he has signed an executive order mandating vaccinations for federal employees and employees of people who do contract business with the United States government. There's also, to my understanding, it's also supposed to create a national vaccine mandate for employers with 100 or more employees. And I, my understanding, this is going to be done using OSHA to push it. And folks, this is just disaster waiting to happen. You know, one. Congress and congressional staffers are not subject to this. Now, that's not because they were specifically exempted. It's because Congress is a co-equal branch of government with the executive. It is the legislative branch. It is co-equal. And the executive cannot tell a co-equal branch of the country what they are, you know, of the government, what they have to do. The same as the executive branch cannot tell the Supreme Court, hey, you all have to go back to law school. You know, they... And they're co-equal, so that will happen. Now, the one that really I don't understand is the United States Postal Service exemption from this because they are controlled by the executive branch. And postal workers handle packages that have come from all over the country, literally all over the world. They encounter random people throughout the course of their day if they're someone who works in the post office. There's no legitimate reason for this other than they're just showing that, you know, we can flex our muscle at people and we can just do it ever how the hell we want to. The, the OSHA push that is supposed to be coming for vaccine mandates by for employers that employ a hundred or more people. Y'all may not realize how many companies employ a hundred or more people. 
it's a vast majority of anything you see that is a national brand on a store shelf more than likely employs well over a hundred people. It's not, you know, it's not your local McDonald's franchise. It's McDonald's corporation. How many hundreds of thousands of people do they employ? It's Walmart, it's Amazon, it's, you know, all these major corporations that, yeah, you may see a local branch, you know, think about if you have a restaurant that has say 12 franchises in a state. Well, they're having trouble finding labor right now. And let's say they have, they're open from six in the morning till nine at night. That's a 15 hour day. So they're going to have more than one shift. So on each shift, they have say a hostess that seats people minimum of two servers, two people that work in the kitchen as cooks. They have at least one dishwasher probably a bus boy. So you're talking about somewhere between eight and nine employees per shift, two shifts a day plus weekends. So if they're maintaining 25 employees per franchise, if they have more than four franchises or if they have four franchises, they fall under this vaccine mandate. Well, they're having trouble right now. You go in everywhere. You go in restaurants, you go in fast food joints, everywhere you go, they have signs up. Please be patient with us. We're short staffed. We're trying to hire more people. They have help wanted signs outside. They're, they're struggling to find enough labor to survive. And as you look up that ladder, they're struggling to get materials because the people up above them on their supply chain are struggling to find labor. When you start forcing vaccinations on people, there's going to be people that say, no, I myself am one, you know? So now you have that restaurant chain that they have 10 franchises and each franchise employs 20 people. Well, say right now they're running at partial strength and they've got 175 employees, which is probably a generous estimate. Well, that's still over a hundred. They're still subject to that mandate. So now if nationally it's 40 some percent of the country doesn't have the vaccination. So all of a sudden you extrapolate that out and you go, okay, 40% of their employees don't go get the vaccination. Well, now suddenly they've lost 70 employees. They're down trying to run a 200 employee chain of restaurants with 110, 115 people. That's not how you're successful. That's going to kill businesses. That's going to kill, you know, that's just going to tank the economy farther. You've got McDonald's corporation has signs outside a lot of their franchises now that say now hiring 14 and 15 year olds they can't find employees well what's going to happen when this vaccine mandate hip hits and another 40 percent of their employees say this job ain't worth it you know what's going to happen when you see all these companies that are carrying 100 employees that say we got to figure out a way to get underneath this 
So they look and they go, okay, these are our two newest employees or our two least essential employees, the two that we can, we can move their work. We can spread it out among several other people. Now we're under a hundred employees. Is that helpful to this nation? When a lot of these companies, like I said, you know, that are smaller, that have a way to get down underneath that mandate, that's people who are suddenly unemployed. That's, that's making things worse for people who are willing to work and they can go find another job, but now they have to look if they don't want to have to be vaccinated to work, they have to look around and they have to say, okay, I got to find somebody that's underneath that mandate. Well, all the companies that were close to that and were big enough to be able to provide some sort of benefits and pay, you know, decent wages and, you know, have a little bit of something to help their employees out. Well, now they've had to drop employees already. So they're not going to be the ones that are looking to hire. It's going to be these bigger companies that are, you know, have places in several states and, you know, some of these bigger steel companies that, you know, they're going to fall under this mandate. So now if you're looking for a job and that's where you have to turn, you have a very ugly choice to make. If you're not pro vaccine, you have to look and go, Hey, am I going to risk this just to have a job or am I going to stand my ground? This is going to further create the divide. It's going to make the divide larger between the vaccinated in this country and the unvaccinated. It's going to make that more of a conflict. It's going to have it more where, you know, the vaccinated say, well, I don't give a shit. You don't need a job if you're unvaccinated. You know, there's a push in this country now, people saying, well, let's just say that the unvaccinated can't vote. Well, that's not how things work. And if you want to see a civil war, keep pushing this divide, keep furthering that, keep trying to make it where it's more of, you know, a division in this country of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Because while there may be better than 50% of the country is vaccinated, I think if you looked at what 50% is vaccinated and what, you know, what is it, 58, 42 or something of that nature, 60, 40, but roughly we'll call it. If you look at the 60% that's vaccinated versus the 40% that's not, I think in the Hunger Games, I'd pick the 40%, you know, I, I don't want to see something like that happen in this country, but they're pushing it to that point. They're doing everything they can in our government to try to further that divide and create that, well, possibly civil war. You know, they're trying to, to make it where it's okay for vaccinated people to basically look down on and say, well, to hell with it. You deserve to die if you're not. And the way that's going to affect employees in this country you know, like I said, companies having to get smaller to get under the mandate or companies having to try to hire people after having to fire people over this mandate. And, you know, there are companies out there that have already said, you know, we want our employees vaccinated. And that, at the end of the day, that is an employer's right. I mean, if you own the property, you can set the conditions of entry. You know, you, you can tell your employees, you know, people say, well, it's unconstitutional for an employer to mandate that. It's not. The Constitution 
isn't designed to constrain a private employer. It's designed to constrain the government. You know, a private employer, if they want to say, hey, you can work here, you know, but you have to wear a pink shirt every day. Well, either you wear a pink shirt or they don't have to keep you employed. You know, most employment in this country is at, is what's called at-will employment. You're, you're not under a contract. You know, they can terminate you basically at their leisure. And if they choose to do it over vaccinations, you'll see a lot of lawsuits. And it'll be kind of interesting to see how it shakes out. But I tend to believe that most of those lawsuits aren't going to be successful because, you know, if I wanted to put a sign on my front door, you can't come in my home unless you're wearing a pink tutu and green ballet slippers. If I don't want to let somebody in because they're not wearing a pink tutu and green ballet slippers, legally, I don't have to. I'm a private individual, and that's the way these private companies are. They They have the latitude that our government doesn't. And it'll be interesting to see if this is pushed through OSHA, then it'll be interesting to see if that's considered government mandates or if that's considered, you know, an occupational safety issue by the courts. And there are lawsuits pending. There have been to date, I believe, 17 Republican governors who have said this isn't happening. We're preparing lawsuits. We're going to challenge this. You know, we're not going to allow the federal government to mandate how private businesses run in our state. And I'm curious to see how it's going to shake out. But I'm very upset by the fact that this administration has basically just said, what the hell's the Constitution? You know, we're just going to executive order it and then we're going to hope that it clears the courts. And, you know. I mean, executive orders have always been a little bit of a legal gray area in many ways because, one, you've always got somebody that's butthurt and is going to find a way to challenge it. And, two, a lot of times legal teams that put these things together try to put a little bit of sketchy stuff in there just to push the envelope because they might have an executive order that's something kind of minor, but if they push it a little bit, well, then they've got a better idea what they can get by with next time. You know, well, that didn't, that made it that time. So we're going to try just a little more this time. And they have really, really jumped the shark with this one. You know, and you've got all these people that Joe Biden said the vaccine shouldn't be mandatory. Nancy Pelosi said you can't force people to be vaccinated. That's an issue of privacy. And, of course, now that it's, you know, their, their party pushing it, they've completely changed their tune. Oh, we can force you to do whatever the hell we want to force you to do. Not how it works in this country, folks. And I'm really hoping that there's common sense in our court system to help, you know, mitigate some of that effect. But let's watch and see, you know, how these vaccine mandates for federal employees and, you know, pushing through OSHA for private employers to mandate vaccinations and let's see how that goes. You know, being in the transportation industry, I deal with various companies, you know, day in and day out. And I'm kind of watching this to see how these companies are going to deal with it and whether or not at some point that that may affect me just on the ability to enter their facilities. But we're going to hope that common sense prevails, but if it comes down to it, 
I think that the unvaccinated portion of the population has a lot more is a lot scarier than the vaccinated portion of the population. I, I know which team I would rather be on if the shit hit the fan, but we're just going to have to see how it goes, you know, and that's the way a lot of things in this country have been recently, you know, with like the eviction moratorium that I said, we'd have to see how it went. And thankfully the court said, you can't do that. And then, you know, the, in Florida, we saw the ban on mask mandates in school. A court said, Oh, you can't ban mask mandates in school. And then just days later, another court said, yeah, Ron DeSantis can ban mask mandates in schools. And you've got the federal government, you know, they're, they're basically, there was a Biden spokesman that intimated that the, the, the white house was basically attempt preparing to run over these governors that were resisting, you know, mask and, vi- and vaccine mandates. And we're to the point in this country, it's gotten so horrible that we're almost to the point of having to balkanize or, you know, a national divorce, if you will, or, you know, it's to the point about where conservatives are going to have to move to conservative states and fortify them and leave the blue states to the blue idiots. And I'm really hoping things change before it reaches that point, but that's really what we see, you know, this country headed to with the federal overreach that we see and, the people that are just so willing to tolerate this federal overreach because it's for public safety and the greater good. And it's trying to save lives and you know, all this crap. But I personally, I'm a grown man. I think that I am probably qualified to be accountable and responsible for my own health and welfare and safety. I think that I am, capable of doing research and making choices on my own. But we see a growing movement in this country that thinks that, you know, the government should just take over and run our lives to save our lives. We're as bad as I hate to say this, we are at best, we're probably one at best two generations from having a large voting block in this country that doesn't understand that an executive order is not a law. You know, they need to bring back schoolhouse rock. I mean, people don't understand that laws require a legislative process, that the president signing a piece of paper and saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. That's all it is, what he wants you to do. It's not a law. But people in this country don't understand that. We don't teach civics in our schools. You know, we don't teach the Constitution. We don't teach people that that the constitution doesn't grant your rights. The constitution stops the government from taking them away. People don't understand that. We don't educate our young people the way we should. And that is probably the most dangerous thing that a nation can do is not properly educated young people. But we're going to see how these this executive order shakes out. And, you know, hopefully the lawsuits these governors are filing. And I'm happy to report that my own governor, Mike Parsons in the state of Missouri is part of this. You know, he's got our attorney general preparing lawsuit materials to join in on this. And we really need to 
make sure that we contact our state officials and let them know that we don't appreciate this, that we do not want to be part of this. We are not going to have some unconstitutional executive order determine the free exercise of our rights. So contact your representatives in the state, contact your governor's office, contact the state attorney general's office, let them know you don't want any part of this. The fixing all this starts right there in our homes with our own computers, our own phones, our own ability to attempt to communicate our opinions and our beliefs to our elected officials. Don't ever let that be taken away from you. And always, when you have the opportunity, take advantage of that opportunity. Those people represent you. They need to know what you think, what you want, what your mindset is. Otherwise, they can't represent you. They represent whoever screeches the loudest. So make you get it. Make sure you get in there and make your voice heard too. Well, that's basically what we've got for today. And appreciate y'all taking the time to listen. And hope you'll let us know what you think. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. If not, feel free to tell me. Redneck Ranch Pod at Twitter or on Twitter and rantingrednecpod at gmail.com. We'll certainly pay attention and if you got something to say we'll look and you know we want to hear from you so thanks for listening and we'll catch up to you next week